0: Hello and welcome to Talking Finance. I'm Alan Kohler. Well, this week we're in a bit of a transition between the Royal Commission atrocities about all the banks and AMP, and we're moving towards Budget Week. And so, economically and in the market, the focus has been shifting to some extent. But certainly, the government has been trying to make a shift. And uh, in the middle of it all, the Reserve Bank kept rates on hold as expected. So, this week, on Talking Finance, we've got Phil the Chief Political Correspondent of the Australian Financial Review, about politics. Sally Auld, Chief Economist at JP Morgan, talking about the economy and, in particular, the RBA. Craig James, Chief Economist at ComSec, talking about the markets. And Tim Lawless, Head of Research at CoreLogic, talking about house prices, which also came out this week for April.
1: Members on my right will cease interjecting. The Leader of the House will cease interjecting.
0: I'm joined now by Phil Curry, who's the Chief Political Correspondent of the AFR, the Financial Review. Well, Phil, um, I guess the task this week for the Government has been to turn around the negativity of the Royal Commission uh, with by using the Budget to do that. Have they succeeded, do you think?
2: I don't know if I've succeeded, Alan. I mean, it's probably too early to try and establish that. It's going to be pretty hard to turn around the negativity of the Royal Commission. Uh, I mean, the thing Scott Morrison did on, I think it was Tuesday, when he announced uh, the APRA review into the Commonwealth Bank, into the money laundering, um, he he attempted to use that as an opportunity to say, look, even though the government opposed a Royal Commission, um, you know, this APRA thing was done at our behest, uh before the Royal Commission was called. So in other words, it wasn't as though we were asleep at the wheel when it came to banks, but that even that message failed to really get through and people just conflated the whole thing with the Royal Commission and
3: and blamed the government
2: for not calling one.
0: That's because that message wasn't true. I mean, the APRA did it on its own bat. They didn't do it because Scott Morrison told us. Well, them that, do that, it.
2: that's right. But I mean, Morrison sort of made a point that when the uh, money laundering stuff broke, he, he summoned Catherine Livingston to Canberra, read of the Riot Act, and then, you know, sort of you know, strongly encouraged, I think, with his words, APRA to, you know, have a look at this. So, I mean, he sought to take credit for it. but I, And I guess he sought to also make the point that under the bear legislation and other things that introduced before the Royal Commission, yeah, you know, we'd look after this sort of thing. He was trying to, essentially say so, they were doing stuff on banks before the Royal Commission, but uh, the, the reaction to that was somewhat cynical. So um, will the budget sort of help them? Probably, I think it will definitely will next week. I mean, it's going to be a big budget, as they always are. It's a pre-election budget, so it's going to be interesting in terms of, you know, stuff for people, income tax cuts and, and infrastructure and so forth. So I think it will momentarily distract at least um, the the other issue being, they will still include um, a commitment to cut the company tax rate um, for the remainder of those companies who haven't already got one. So, as long as they stick with that policy, um, their enemies will will conflate that with the behaviour of the banks.
0: Um, you interviewed Scott Morrison yesterday. Um, did he give you any leaks?
2: No, he didn't actually. <laughs> him. Um, <laughs> uh, no, look, he just spoke in broad philosophical terms about the budget. It'll be uh, in the AFR tomorrow and I assume other papers he's spoken to, but um, look, he, he, he his view is essentially... Um, You know that they have to give these tax cuts. He's 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 making a very strong case, a justification for putting uh, tax cuts, if you like, ahead of the um, ahead of the uh, the need to bring uh, get the surplus back to one percent of GDP, which was an old Abbott government commitment. They can't do both. You can't give away revenue and have stronger surpluses because the revenue position isn't isn't good enough. So, uh, look, you know, and I know, and most of us know that. There's a, there's a strong political imperative for giving income tax cuts, but the treasurer would never say that. Um, yeah, but he's made a very strong case for keeping beneath that 23.9% cap of GDP, and there is an economic um, there is an economic case, obviously, not to have too high a tax burden on the economy, and that, that's the argument uh, that he'll be making and saying that that is more important than having you know super strong surpluses.
0: I well, mean, um, in fact, he's put it. He's made it a hard cap now for the coalition, hasn't he? I mean, that's mm. is that a uh, uh, that's now that, that used to be a guideline. Now it's a now it's a hard cap. Is that yeah? Locking <laughs> them in forevermore to at twenty three point nine percent.
2: Well, for, definitely for this government. I mean, I don't know when Abbott, if you go back to the twenty fourteen. Budget. The government first talked about it. It was in there. They mentioned it, and uh, they set themselves the cap then, as along with these other budget rules about a two percent cap on spending growth and other things. So it was pretty much made a rule back in 2014. But it really didn't start to get, um, you know, talked about or accentuated until probably the last six months. Matthias Cormann gave a very s- low-key speech to the Business Council in November, where he cited that. He said, this is how we're going to cut income tax cuts because we're about to hit that tax cap, or they were in 22-23. I suspect it'll be a bit earlier than that now, given the extra revenue that's coming in, so they may bring that cap forward by a year, but it certainly has now become this article of faith, if you like. Um, And look, Labor itself, uh, if you go back to Chris Bowen's gave a speech in late 2013 after they lost government. He said he laid down four rules the government must abide by when it comes to the budget and one of them was a 23.7% cap on tax to GDP. Now I can't remember a couple of years later Bowen said oh we don't, we're don't, we not going to abide by that anymore and Labor's plan so far put them close to 26 so I think the point Morrison is making if you don't put a cap on then you don't control behaviour and, um, and 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 in terms of taxing and spending, and that's not good. That's overall is detrimental to the economy. So it's a good discipline to enforce, you know, to give yourself a cap. I suppose it's
0: a form of tax indexation, isn't
2: it? No, I guess so, you could call it that. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it is what it is. It's a rule. Um, I mean, what's interesting about it is... Yeah, and when I go back to the earlier point about this village being as political as our our economic, the tax cap doesn't reach till 22, 23 on what we know so far. yet They're going to start handing out income taxes early in July this year. Now, there's no need to hand out income taxes earlier because they're still beneath the cap. So it just shows you, um, yeah, the political imperative. This would be the last budget before an election. So, yeah, they're bringing forward the tax cuts and... uh, and they'll
0: be funded for by the better, you know, the better than anticipated revenues. Joining me now is Sally Old, the chief economist at JP Morgan. Sally, no surprise in the RBA's leaving interest rates on hold this week, but um, was there any anything in the statement, anything that happened that uh, did surprise you?
4: Uh no, not really. I mean, the statement didn't really offer much new. Um, And that was sort of interesting in itself, I guess, because it feels like a lot has happened in the last month since the board sat down. But we did get a a better sense of, I suppose, some of the things the RBA are thinking about when later that day the RBA governor made some public remarks at a dinner and, you know, he sort of went through and said, um, you know, despite the fact that we haven't moved rates for 21 months, you know, like we do think about a lot of things every time we sit down to... Made the rate right decision, and he said, you know, there are four things that you know, we feel are, I guess, risk to their central case forecasts, um, and they were things like, you know, how China manages its deleveraging, the state of household balance sheets, and the amount of leverage on those in Australia, what's going on with funding costs for the banks, and then also, you know, I guess the risk of tighter lending conditions given some of the scrutiny that the banks are under at the moment. So. What I thought was interesting about that is that, you know, they are all, in their own way, downside risks. Um, So that sort of tells you that, you know, yes, the RBA has a pretty optimistic set of forecasts for growth over the next 18 months, but increasingly it feels like the risk bias to those forecasts is very much to the downside.
0: So did it change your view about interest rates next year, this year and next year?
4: Mm, No, because we've got a a view that's... um, we've had for a while now, which is largely that rates will be on hold for the foreseeable future, um, and there's certainly nothing in RBA commentary that would make us want to change that view anytime soon. I, I sort of think what's interesting is you know, the bank is clearly prosecuting a view that they're comfortable that the next move in rates will be up, and that seems like a fair assumption if their forecasts, as they're laid out for the time being actually materialise. I guess our sense would be that, uh, you know, we, have, we would have a lot less conviction in that view and, you know, I think at the moment I'm sort of reasonably open-minded as to the, whether the next move would be up or, or down.
0: So the other thing coming up soon is the budget next week. Um, do you uh, – is, is there anything in that that you think will have an impact on the economy? I mean, uh, what's your view about how the budget's looking economically?
4: Yeah, so I mean, uh, you know, obviously the government sort of finds itself in a a good position in the sense that, you know, it's got a bit more cash to play with now than it thought it would have. And it feels like, you know, a lot of that is going to be given back in terms of personal income tax cuts, which from what we understand, and we don't have a huge amount of detail, they will likely be phased in, you know, perhaps over the next 10 years or something. So I think that will, will mute their impact near term. But on the numbers that we've run, you know, you basically have a scenario where, in the last five years, fiscal policy has been more of a headwind to growth than not. And I think we're at, a, at an inflection point now, where over the next little while, um, fiscal policy is going to be modestly supportive of, of growth over the next couple of years. So, it's not going to really shift the needle on the run rates uh, you know, that this economy can achieve over the next couple of years. But I guess I'd say it's you know it's better than than nothing. <music>
0: And now to chat to us about the markets, here's Craig James, Chief Economist at Comsec. Well, Craig, what is your view of the market at the moment? Is it... Um, uh, a lot of people are saying that, uh, you know, it's... I think uh, Roger Montgomery said the other day it's flashing amber and uh, could be heading for a fall. What do you think?
3: Well, we continue to look at, you know, the big-picture view, and, you know, so the big-picture view in terms of the global economy is, is pretty good. Um, the International Monetary Fund has only recently confirmed that we're going to see 3.9% growth in in the global economy uh, this year. Now, um, some of the indicators globally have uh, softened a little bit recently, but they were going gangbusters, so they're coming to a more sustainable rate. We've got China continuing to expand. We've got the United States continuing to expand. Um, US has remained set to, to lift interest rates another uh, two times this year. So um, everything looks pretty good from a global situation. And then you look here domestically, we've got... Um, exports picking up. Um, we've got a business environment which is arguably the best in 20 years. If you look at um, the surveys, business uh, NAB business survey, uh, the manufacturing surveys, um, manufacturing and service uh, sector gauges. Um, so our view is that Australian companies continue to perform well. They're continuing to, to make money um, and um, that should be reflected in terms of the share price and that should be reflected in terms of uh, dividends. Now, um, I suppose... What we have at the moment is um, fairly, you know, sort of modest growth in terms of um, the all-ordinaries in the ASX 200, something in the order of around about 5%. But, you know, so our expectation this year is that we'd get the indices basically to, to rise by... Yeah, you know, sort of five, six, yes, you know, so odd percent, uh, add in dividends around about four percent, and you get total returns around about 10 percent. So, um, yeah, our, our view, and, and of course, we, we tend to take, you know, sort of um, a, a more top down, yes, you know, so approach rather than bottom up approach. And um, we're looking at, yes, you know, so the, the global factors, the, um, the Australian economy factors, and um, uh, we don't see any need for, for change, you know, so our forecast. We're still looking for the 06 200, around about 6300 points. By the end of the year, and the all odds a little bit higher than that at sixty four hundred points.
0: One of the top down factors you're probably looking at is bond yields, and um, the uh, U.S. bond yield went above three percent last week, but it's now currently just below that. do Do you think that do you, do you regard that as an important issue?
3: It is certainly something that you watch. Um, If you were to see um, longer-term bond yields um, globally continue to to rise, um, it could take away a bit of the interest in terms of the share market. But um, we're still of the the view that um, one of the overriding factors is in terms of um, uh, the global economy, and as it is here in Australia, is that the, the... difficulty to get inflation up in this sort of environment. Uh, We do know that um, consumers and businesses nowadays, um, it's not local competition that they need to worry about. It's not, you know, it's a competition, say, across Australia. It's global competition that you've got to worry about. So it's an expansion, if, if you like, in the supply side. Um, and if um, consumers nowadays can buy goods yes you know, whenever they want and wherever they are it keeps downward pressure on, on prices and um, that's what we're seeing you know, sort of. we're seeing it here in Australia we're seeing it globally um, inflation you know, sort of is tr- trying to push its way up but constantly we're getting uh, businesses saying that it's hard to pass on uh, costs in this sort of environment um, and um, what they're doing instead is looking to um, improve efficiencies keep their their cost structure down and they're being very successful in doing that. So um, yes, it is right and proper that we get you know sort of a, a more sustainable level of longer term interest rates. But yes, we're not spooked by you know sort of ten year yields rising above three percent. It's not a, not a magical figure in our view.
0: Right. And um, uh, do you think the budget will have any impact on the market next week?
3: Uh, yeah, the short yeah, the short answer is no. Um, uh, it, it's an interesting one of you know, so this budget because um, it's probably going to be the last before the, you know, so the next election. Um, and um, if that's the case, then you don't want um, any measures in there that um, uh, are going to be very divisive. Um, you're likely to get some sweeteners such as you know, so the the carrot of uh, tax cuts. And, and it may not be you know, so tax cuts anytime time soon, you know, so just holding up the carrot of tax cuts when, you know, so that the budget gets uh, into to surplus. Uh, but um, uh, I think what we need to focus on you know, so where the where the share market's going to get a degree of... Um, Uh, support from is uh, the continued focus on infrastructure spending and and this is where we're not just focused on the federal uh, budget but on the state budgets as well. Right the way across the land we've got um, uh, state, um, territory and also the federal um, um, government uh, which is spending money on infrastructure. So this is great news for, for the likes of um, um, construction companies, for building materials supply companies, you know, so for engineers, anything which is related to, to that infrastructure sector.
0: Joining me now is Tim Lawless, the head of research at CoreLogic, to talk about house prices. Well, Tim, as you pointed out in your release the other day, the national house prices fell on average for the first time, I think, since 2012. I I suppose it was just inevitable that that was going to happen, uh, given the declines elsewhere. But so far, we're seeing a pretty moderate decline, aren't we,
1: in house prices, certainly no crash. Uh, I think we can describe this as a a fairly managed slowdown. And uh, uh, the fact that we've seen values across the capital cities are down by about 1.7% since they peaked in September last year. Uh, on an annual basis, as you as you mentioned, they're down by 0.3 percent, the first time since 2012. But uh, by all measures, this this isn't a crash. This is this is a very mild, uh, quite a slow melt, and very much uh, dependent on what's happening with credit flows, which of course have tightened quite substantially over several rounds of macroprudential changes, and now progressively as we move through the Royal Commission.
0: Obviously, it's been led by Sydney, which went up the most. How much? have Sydney house prices fallen? And is there much difference between parts of Sydney?
1: Well, we've seen Sydney values overall have fallen by 4.3% since they peaked in July last year through to the end of of April. Interestingly enough, we're seeing most of these falls very much confined within the detached housing space. Apartment values, in fact, are actually still virtually at record highs um, across Sydney. Uh, Also, when you start drilling down across the Sydney data, you can see it's very much the higher end of the marketplace where values are shifting lower, whereas the more affordable housing stock um, has started to see some subtle falls, but it's been much more resilient to value falls, probably due to the fact that we are seeing so many first home buyers coming back into the market.
0: What do you put the difference between apartments and houses down to? I mean, what's, what's holding apartment prices up?
1: Well, it's a bit counterintuitive, isn't it, when you think that there's been so much apartment construction uh, across both Sydney, and Melbourne, as well as Brisbane, of course. We haven't actually seen the peak in apartment construction yet in Sydney. Uh, so we're still seeing more, more homes and more dwellings, apartments coming into the market. But I think the real reason why we're seeing support in this sector uh, from a evaluation perspective is that we are seeing a natural flow of demand into more affordable housing stock. Part of this, of course, comes back to first home buyers taking advantage of stamp duty uh, concessions that went live in July last year. But I think there's also just a natural flow of demand coming into the medium to high density space, simply because detached housing in Sydney has become so expensive that many buyers are choosing not to buy in the outer fringes of the city, where where transport can be quite congested and where amenities are a little bit more scarce. And they're choosing to, to sacrifice the hill's hoist and, and move closer to the city uh, where, sure, things are a bit denser, but they do have a lot more access to uh, um, amenity and generally efficient uh, transport commuting times.
0: Um, another interesting market, I think, is Brisbane, because I, if anything, there's been, as, there's been as much apartment building in Brisbane, if not more, and... Um, uh, which to some extent seems to be supported by inter, intra interstate migration of people, in particular from uh, New South Wales and Sydney, up to uh, up to Brisbane. Is that still going on?
1: Well, we've seen a few months now where the Brisbane apartment market has posted some subtle rises, and of course this comes after a a very long period where where values have been shifting lower. And as you say, that's that's very much due to high supply levels, particularly of, of investment grade stock around the inner suburbs. Now, interestingly enough, if you look at Brisbane's apartment market, we're still seeing values about 11% lower now than what they were back in 2008, so 10 years ago. So I think for some uh, savvy buyers, they're now starting to see some some true value, particularly in the established apartment market around Brisbane, where, where yields are actually quite high as well. Typical investment yield for a Brisbane apartment is about 5.4%, quite um, quite a lot higher than the national average, which is at 4.2%.
0: Right, so, um, and, and what, are, what are auction clearance rates telling you about what's likely to happen uh, to uh, house prices for the rest of this year?
1: Clearance rates are typically most important for the Sydney, Melbourne and Canberra markets. That's where we do see a large number of homes going to auction and the trend has been quite clear. We've been seeing clearance rates typically holding around the mid to low 60% mark for most of this year to date. For the last few weeks, we have been seeing clearance rates just starting to come down a little bit further from there. So Sydney, for example, last week showed for the first time since uh, uh, late last year that uh, the overall city clearance rate has come down below 60%. So uh, finished up in the high 50s. Uh, Melbourne's come down a little bit, but still holding above 60%. So we are seeing uh, vendors now facing uh, some more challenging times. Buyers, on the other hand, are finally getting a little bit more leverage back at, uh, at the negotiation table. So gut
0: feel, Tim, I mean, uh, given the supply-demand picture,
1: um, clearance rates,
0: also uh, the, um, the financial, you know, the finance picture uh, with banks, what sort of uh, decline in prices are we looking at? Uh, both nationally and in the big markets on the East Coast?
1: Well, I think the big determinant here is going to be credit and credit availability and availability of uh, um, banks or willingness of banks to lend. We've already seen credit flows tighten quite substantially and uh, I think that'll probably uh, tighten further as we move through uh, the outcomes of the Royal Banking Commission. So I think we probably will see this this continuation and a slow melt in, in housing values. Sydney's already down by uh, 4.3% since the market peaked, and I think we'll see that market continuing to, to trend a little bit lower, although there are still plenty of factors that are likely to keep a floor under housing prices. So I'd be pretty surprised if we saw a decline of more than, say, 8 to 10%, because we still, do, we still do have very strong population growth. We still have mortgage rates, which are very low and not likely to, to rise um, uh, very quickly or, or shortly. And we also uh, have, uh, I guess, the offsetting factor of more owner-occupiers coming back into the marketplace.
0: Happy birthday, Adele, who turns 30 today. Now, she's not my vintage, but I recognise a talent when I see one. And here she is.
3: Everybody loves the things
0: you do From the way you talk to the way you move Everybody here is watching you Cause you feel like home You're like a dream come true That's it for Talking Finance. I'm Alan Kohler. Have a great week.